All right. So I thought I would, I'll start with the. Uh, I'll explain the reason for for starting this, which is obviously we've talked about this before, but also Fina Falls and the freaking literature always sort of sets me off. Nah, I think we'll just do a bit of a ramble, to be honest. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's interesting that they sent that literature just before. Oh, yeah. And obviously, they, they must think that there might be a, an election in the office. Anyway. Hello and welcome to Spoil Your Reign. This is episode 21, and we are looking at voting systems in Ireland and potential voting or electoral reform. And I'm joined by... Uh, Jack Kerwin. Okay, so let's start. Right, so... You were mentioning uh, you started getting leaflets from Fianna Fáil. Yeah. All of a sudden, out of the blue. I, I woke up yesterday and I checked my mail and I found out that I had received um, some campaign literature from a Fianna Fáil candidate who ran in my area. Now, she, she didn't win. I'm not going to say her name, but she didn't win. Um, but she thanked everybody for voting for her. Now, I thought the timing was great because we're just coming to the end of the recess. We got a budget that may or may not pass. And obviously somebody in Fianna Fáil has decided to hedge their bets. Um, but it, it sort of taught me thinking, it started me thinking about like electoral reform and voting, because if we have to vote again this year or even early next year, then the problems that came up this time haven't really been fixed then, because we haven't, we haven't got a new constituency boundary commission up and running, or if it's just up and running, it hasn't done a report yet. We've got the census, which is only somewhat out, so that's going to change all the boundaries. We've already got an unconstitutional, technically at the moment, our actual number of TDs is unconstitutional. So we have a whole bunch of stuff we've got to fix before we can have an election. Now, here's the thing. If the government falls due to the budget not being passed, which is an automatic yes. thing, and then we got six weeks of campaigning, in that six weeks, are they then going to have to publish a new boundary commission and increase the number of TDs? I don't think so. Um, well, they're going to have to increase the number of TDs by yes. one at least. Um, I, I think they'll probably be pretty decently fast doing that if they if they have to. If they have to, yeah. But uh, I but think it, yeah. the more interesting thing is that if we've only really had two months of this government. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and already someone someone already thinks they're not going to last. Yeah, I, it, to be fair, a lot of people were expecting that we might actually end up having another election this year. But the thing I find interesting about it only having two months is that I don't think anyone's opinions have changed. No. I don't think there's been time. I haven't had, partially because of the presidential election in America takes up so much Nobody's airtime. had the time, yeah, yeah. But nothing's really, aside from Brexit, nothing's really changed in Ireland. No. Uh, there's been no major scandals or... There's the Olympics crap, but that's nothing to do with the government. It's nothing to do with the government, yeah, really. Yeah. That's some, some weird department of sports stuff, which, you know... <laughs> Who knows anything about that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I wonder... Okay, perhaps they're planning because there could be notions that, well, yes, the budget could destroy this government very easily. Well, government is a difficult term to attach to the situation we have now. Group of, group of very odd bedfellows. Um, and, I mean, aside from Danny Healy Ray saying some random mad stuff every couple of weeks, I mean, nothing's really happened. There's no great position on brexit in ireland except everyone's united on the thing of we should probably have a bit more of a say when the eu is negotiating and that's really it yeah i mean i mean every issue that's been somewhat controversial has been kicked uh way down the road we've yeah. got a constitutional convention that everyone's a bit dubious about what the hell it's supposed to do okay it's supposed to deal with abortion nobody how 
Well, the abortion debate has just once again it had a brief kick up and then it stalled again, yeah. as it does. But also, this every convention supposed to deal with a whole bunch of other stuff. Yes. Of which is kind of vague. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I think they're going to look at the education and Catholic uh, stuff. I believe its Maybe. mandate is deal with things Enda finds difficult. Yes, it is. You know? Yeah, yeah. Of course, let's be honest. This is this is Enda's special commission. Um, but just in terms of voting reform, here are three things that I noticed this election, last election, and the election before. So, mm-hmm. 07, 11, and 16. The three things that I noticed that are severely problematic. The first is that the local county councils, and in some cases city councils, run the election lists. There has been an ongoing nightmare with this, where people get kicked off the rolls, people are put on the rolls, 30,000 dead people got ballots, and it's funny Right? It is funny that dead people got ballots, but it's not good because the dead people got ballots and actual living voters did not get their ballots. And we have every election, there is a queue out the door of Dublin City Council, and very nicely, a guard will turn up to sign the form. But to get on the ballot is like a ridiculous Kafka-esque nightmare. You got to get this form, you got to stand by this guy, it's got to go to this, you know, it's it's a whole shebang. So the first problem is who gets on the ballot. The second problem is a lot of people who are not Irish citizens don't know that they are eligible for certain types of elections, right? Which causes all sorts of problems because we have a significant proportion of people who are not full Irish citizens, but yet who are eligible for certain classes of election. Um, And also that's a difference between UK citizens and non-UK citizens. They have other rights that other people don't have. Yes, the the voting rights are a little odd in this country in places. So that's one one big issue. The second one is the fact that you must return to your place of origin where you're registered to vote, which is problematic for anybody under 30. And the third thing, and this is just quickly, the third thing that that I've noticed every time is the amount of time, the the actual polling situation. The fact that it's only on one day that it's usually a weekday. Why can't we have voting from dawn on Friday to sundown on Sunday? That's the three things that I've just sort oh, yes. of looked at. Well, uh, actually, on your point about the, the people returning home problem, this is kind of a strange one that I haven't really put a huge amount of thought into, but I do find kind of strange. I vote down in Ennis. Yeah. I've lived in Galway essentially for 10 years now yeah. with one minor break in Dublin. Mm-hmm. And I've never registered in Galway simply because up until recently I've moved around a lot and it just was a you know it was a pain in the ass to have to go change the address every year. But also you you're from Ennis. Yes, but the strange thing is is that this creates an unusual thing because I'm well aware that a huge number of people or generation of those who vote um, have the same general thing. You still go vote in Leitrim. Leitrim. Um, most people I know still vote in their home county. Which makes sense to a certain degree, but at the same time, isn't that quite a bizarre aspect of our voting system? That how, you don't how vote where been, you are, yeah, you vote where how you're long from. How has it been since you voted, like, sorry, since you lived in Leitrim for any length of time? Years. Yeah, nearly a decade. Years and right? years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you haven't been living in Leitrim for a decade, yet your vote is still in Leitrim. You know, same with myself. But that was deliberate. Now, I, I chose to have yes, it there. Yes, uh, yeah, like, yeah. I, I agree. Like, I generally have the thing of I vote in Ennis largely because I know the political landscape in Ennis better. And I find Galway is a... I find how I tend to vote in Galway is a lot of the time a bit of a throwaway vote because 
you're in the city, yeah. it's different. Yeah. But, I mean, the one thing I would say is maybe the, the problem that you're discussing is that for different types of elections, you should be voting in different things. So for a national election, yes. it makes sense for you and I to vote in our home regions. Yeah. Our parents are there. People yes. forget this. You, Our parents are, are not of an advanced age, not in their 60s, <laughs> but they're in their 50s, yeah. right? And, and we're aware that policies happening now are going to affect our folks first. So yeah. in my head, it's always like, well, I want to make sure there's somebody looking after them. Yeah, or making uh, sure that, that they're going to get something. And yeah. in addition to like representing my interests, but I also think of their interests. Well, there's a familial thing. I also think, like for myself, going back to Ennis, there's a, the, one of the major points for going back home is to make sure that you're still represented as part of your county. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I didn't, the county I didn't, identity is important. I didn't leave Ennis because like I don't like Ennis or I don't identify with Clare people at all. I, I mean, lived there most of my life. But I go back to Ennis because like I don't know anything about Galway. You're not Culture. from there. I'm not from Galway. I yeah. live in Galway. I don't... But it should, wouldn't it make sense for local elections that you would vote in Galway? Like, for local elections, because you live there yeah. and local yeah. issues would affect you. Th- you know? th- that's actually the point I was getting on, is that like, I've lived in Galway 10 years. There's particularly the Lewis, the notion of a Galway Lewis, is yeah. an issue that I heavily support. And I should be voting, I believe, the Green Party heavily pushes that. They do. But it is that bizarre of, but I don't live, because I don't vote. In Galway, it no, just it, it you never occurs to me as a thing. And if you think about, um, you know, this one will come up in multiple countries of people who don't live here voting here. It's a common thing that comes up. Yeah, it's slightly odd that we have this vast subsection of the population that we accept. Yeah, you vote somewhere where you haven't lived for a decade. Mm-hmm. You know, easily a seventh of your life. Yeah, but it's particularly pronounced with our generation yes. and younger because. We are the least likely generation to own homes yeah. and to have started families yet. Yes. And because so many of us live in transitory rental accommodation, of course you're not going to register to vote there. Yeah. You might move in 18 months when your landlord jams your rent up. And you'll never be able to figure out where your ballot's gone. Exactly. And you don't even know where the hell you're supposed to vote. Some primary school 40, you know, 40 yes. minutes away. You have no <laughs> idea where it is. Um, and you're not from the area. Yes. So you're voting for Canada. You're going, okay, I could vote for the party, but I don't know who this person is. Yeah. But... In terms of the other part of this, I think that people get confused about it. This came up a lot in the gay marriage referendum. A large amount of the youth vote that came to register for that were registered on the supplemental register. We're a country that does this and it drives me insane. The supplemental register is only valid for the vote in question. Yes. So people go to the effort of registering to vote, but only are on one one issue. Yeah. Which means that they are then not on the main ballot, the register that comes up per county. So you have a situation where people are turning up to vote for referendums wherever they are. They don't yeah. care where they are because it's a referendum, right? Which kind of breaks the question is, shouldn't we have just a separate electoral role for the referendums then? I actually completely agree. That- because, because like a county by county vote for a referendum makes no sense. Because that doesn't make any damn difference. Yes. You're not voting for someone. You're voting it, for it a thing. It just allows us to laugh at Roscommon. Yeah. That, okay, that was, <laughs> that was for that one. Yeah. Or Donegal previously. But like, it should be almost like an election of the whole country. Hmm. Like well, the way the president. The thing... Um, oh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought here. Uh, yeah, right. So with the, the registering to vote thing, with the county councils having a list, the, th- the problem I find with uh, this is that you get such a disparity... Between different counties, some councils have great systems. So, for some instance, have terrible systems. Claire, I think, pretty much just automatically registers you. Really? It generally, I, I not how do they sure. do that? I have no idea. Didn't even know um, that was legal. 
I, I I suspect that at some point something just got registered, and it's just that way. Yeah. Um, I know this has happened to some people in Roscommon as well, where they just auto registration. Yeah. yeah, I suspect that some of the more rural counties just generally, y'all, you went to school here. Your dad's been a farmer here for yeah. fifty years. Like so we just, re- yeah, a bit of an old. I think, um, I think at one point your local county council, this is maybe twenty hmm. years ago, could register you. Yes. I think what they used to do is they used to just register every household. Yeah, register every household and yeah. keep you on. That's that. That was that, yeah. But uh, then there's counties where it is a complete nightmare Dublin. trying to register. Like uh, Dublin, I imagine, trying to even figure out where exactly you're supposed to go to register for your district is probably some kind of maze-like nightmare. nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, the other problem is that you have to go to a cop. Yes. So here's this is the illogical part of it. You must go and interrupt a cop's busy day. Yes. In a cop's, you have to go to, so first you have to go to a police station. If you live in a rural area, there's a good chance you don't have a police station near you, which means you have to drive somewhere. Yeah. Way the hell away from you. You can either register at a cop shop or at the county council offices, Hmm. which are usually way away from where you live. So either way, you must travel, go and register to vote, and then hope to God that you get onto the system in time or whatever. And it's like, we're making it really complicated here. It shouldn't be this complicated. Yeah, I also like to point out this is one of those strange ones where it could sound like the government has deliberately done this to it hasn't, keep voting actually. numbers down. It hasn't. This is just a holdover from a lot of old weird laws and general considerations. But, no, that but it also, it has to also do with the fact the way the country was for a very long yes. time, largely rural, largely agrarian. People didn't move. Yeah. So you knew where you lived. Yes. You voted where you're from. It was totally normal, and the turnout levels. I tribute this, right? Yeah. Turnout was 70, 80%. That only happens in a stable property environment where people are in the same places and high, you know, that's why the, the counties still with the highest turnout are overwhelmingly rural. No major urban population centers. Well, Nobody's moving anywhere. Discussing on the, the younger people in voting and particularly the marriage, gay marriage referendum there, there's an interesting thing to be brought up here um, that... Most of our elections do and referenda do tend to occur in around March is popular and November. Yeah. I believe are the two months that generally it comes up, usually because the government's actually in power and that tends to make yeah. things. Well, I mean, referendums are overwhelmingly easier. political, though. Yes. The way that they pick the days, what day they want it to be on, all that kind of stuff. But um, here's the issue it's one thing to get people to vote on their way home from work. Right, it can be a bit of a pain in the ass. I know, like my dad will generally be coming back from work. He'll stop in the station, and actually, it usually isn't as bad as people make it out to be. It's usually I think my dad relatively likes to quick. Revote or first thing, but yeah, same with my mother. You yeah, know, yeah. but they can both vote, and it's not a huge. Yeah, it's half an hour out of your day at worst. Mm. Usually, I, I know myself. Usually, it turns into literally, oh, I'm here, I voted, gone, like five minutes tops. Yeah, but. The problem with young people is that if they're generally voting in their home counties, which was encouraged by proponents of the gay marriage referendum... Because they wanted to, vote, to yes. boost numbers across yeah. the country. Yeah. Wanted to boost numbers in the different counties, so it didn't look that this was an overwhelmingly city thing or something else. Urban wanted to vote, represent yeah. that this is the people from the counties. That makes sense. Makes sense. Perfectly fine. Nothing dodgy about it. The problem is, is that that was a popular vote where people wanted to vote. General elections... And they were willing to go through the hassle to yes. do it. General elections are a little bit more dour. 
just generally yeah, dour. Are. Like especially the last one. Like I mean, we discussed it earlier in the year, but it was much like sort of okay. Let me look at all these leaflets I've got in the door, and basically dump half of them off on the face of it. Decide which ones I want to vote in which order, and then like I generally just sit there until like Sunday. And discover that, like, you know, my 10th choice or something won. Yeah. It's yeah. not an exciting thing, unless you're weirdos like us who like looking we at get the excited, numbers. But, and, you but your average person sits there and goes, I don't like these parties. I'm voting yeah. for the lesser of six evils. And quite frankly, like, ignoring college students, just thinking of people who, like, are our age and, you know, have things to do in their lives. Yeah. The notion of, let's say, Traveling as much down. people are living in Dublin. Right, say you're living in you're voting Donegal with your family, but you live in Dublin. The notion of trying to get to Donegal or Cork or Kerry or Mayo to vote for someone you're not particularly interested in voting for often enough, yeah, and then drive home or stay down for the weekend, especially if you have work then on Monday, is not an easy sell to someone who well is young and has more exciting things to do. Well, probably not, but, you know... Well, it's demotivational voting, yeah. Yeah, and that's where I think there is a problem with the keeping the home county notion that a lot of people do, mm. is that it does lead to more people being more discouraged to actually vote. But, I mean, I suppose this, the, the, the response to that would be from... I'm sure it would be from the Department of Local Government, which is also kind of the Department of mm. Elections. Just to explain to any of our foreign listeners, we have a thing that used to be called the Department of Environment and Local Government. It got a rename this year for reasons that I have no understanding why. They Fun. called it the Department <laughs> of Climate Change and Local Government, which I'm a bit puzzled as to how that all works out. And housing mm. and something else. There was like, it, was just, it has this ridiculously long name. Anyway, this is the department that is in theory administering local government. It appoints, um, well, it helps appoint county managers and things like that. But also, more importantly, it kind of looks after the elections mm. in a kind of tenuous, not very well thought out kind of way because elections are decentralized in this country, as they are in most countries. Yes. Elections are, at the at, not at the discretion, but they're under the control of local government, which in normal countries would make perfect sense because a lot of countries have very powerful local government. We have a hamstrung local government where councillors can vote on stuff but actually can't really influence policy all that yeah. much. Anyone want to look at the recent planning issues going on in Dublin City Council over whether or not to redevelop Devony Gardens or not? You know, you'll see what's happening when council management is going against the council management always win so there is you've handed it to a system that is inherently kind of undemocratic and the arguments they would make to what the issue jack just raised is well you can register to vote in dublin here's the problem with that if we have a situation where everybody who lives in dublin who's not from dublin starts to vote in dublin you're going to a end up with an overbalance of people elected from Dublin, yes. which is already way too high. If, it, if, if you have 100 TDs, let's say at the most extreme end, out of 158 being elected from Dublin region, which includes Meath and Kildare and all these other counties, and the 66 are scattered throughout everywhere else. That's actually a very fair point I hadn't considered. Then you end up with a situation where the needs of rural areas are completely and utterly obliterated. Yes. And you end up with the kind of balkanization that we have seen in Kerry, 
Tipperary, Roscommon, parts of Leitrim, where they're voting for these candidates who are completely anti-state in some ways. And you're ending up in a situation where there's no party control of anything and you're kind of an independent, well, odd coalitions forming out of there. Well, an interesting thing to me, as much as it's fun to you know, laugh at the Healy race, it's important to remember that they're voted in specifically because they're so difficult to deal with. It yes. prevents Kerry being thrown around, yes. which it very easily could be. Yeah, it's the kind of, it's parochialism is taking hold in a way that is politically um, viable. It's, it's like they're creating their own little forts. Yes, it's the know? fiefdom thing. Yeah. Um, I may, like. I don't think it'll ever reach that point where you'll have a two to one majority in Dublin. But if, if well, Dublin, if Dublin's population hits two million and we stay at about 4.7 million nationally, then they're going to get half the seats, if not more. Well, it also adds in if they can start considering the Dublin area has to be extended, which it very well might. Then it's going to get um, even bigger. At which point you would be... I mean, what's, what's the population of Greater Dublin? Something ludicrous. 1.3 million, 1.4, yeah. something like that. That's huge. Um, and if you were to consider some of the commuter towns as well, Dublin starts literally becoming half the country. of the country yeah. by population. Which is a very strong argument for not voting in, in Dublin. Dublin. Yeah. Um, though, yeah, it's, it's it's actually a much more complicated issue because there are all, there's also a counter uh, argument to that. That Dublin can't be serving the needs of the people who live in Dublin if a lot of those people aren't voting in Dublin. Yes, that's um, totally true. But isn't the, isn't the counter argument to that that if... Dublin's vote is diluted by people not yes. from Dublin, then the indigenous, excuse this, sorry, the indigenous <laughs> people, <laughs> indigenous means poor, sorry, in, it, indigenous, as the people from Dublin, dubs, yeah. are going to be totally overwhelmed by what they consider culchies. And you're going to have this situation where Dublin's. Dublin for the dubs. That dubs yeah. for Dublandia crap is going to become more and more extreme. And then you'll end up with this weird voting within Dublin where majority... Political discourse would get shifted. To this issue yeah. where majority Dublin districts with people born and bred from Dublin will start to vote against the interests of people who aren't from Dublin but who are now in the greater area. Well, point. You can see that happening already, no, but that's going to get worse. No, it's a, another good area, but I mean, there is an issue where much of the in, inner city Dublin population is... They don't is, vote, though. Well, yes, but the, even those those that do are suffering from the problem of increased higher and higher rents is basically pushing them far out of the city. Yeah. Um, which, again, it's something that needs to be kept in mind. Ireland has like an oddly divided population that doesn't work together perfectly fine, but mix, mixing together, they get a bit weird very quickly. We're very tribal. Um, I mean, that's yeah. part of it. I do think that the, the, there is an argument to say, if you're not from, if you're from this area, but you don't live there, you really shouldn't probably vote there because what happens there, the people you vote don't impact your life, yes. right? That's a totally valid argument. But the thing is, a lot of Irish people traditionally, not this is excluding our generation because we are not fitting any of the traditional norms because yes. our generation got single-handedly hammered in the last uh, um, recession by a rapacious Fianna Fáil government. Yeah. So they went after us because they knew that we could do nothing to them. Yeah. Um, so the older generation's view was, I'll live in Dublin for a bit, but 
if I ever get the chance, if I ever get the opportunity, I'll return home. So that vote made sense in a kind of long-term strategy way. But if we empty out the counties, and that was what the census, the early preliminary Mm. results were showing us, that certain counties are literally emptying out of people, and now like a majority of people there are probably not of childbearing age, we're going to have a problem. Well, I mean, there's there's the the bigger problem just in general how people think. Um, there are lo- loads and loads of people from the rural counties of Ireland who end up in Dublin for work, and even though they've been here potentially half a decade or more, still in the back of their heads are thinking, "Ah, this is temporary. This is a temporary thing." Yep, so it's true. still going to be going on, even though there's this no, yeah, you know, the the the. Uh, the economy of Kerry isn't going to suddenly jump through the roof with programming jobs in pharmaceutical industries in five years. But isn't part of the problem here is that in in other countries that have had this level of growth, right? Yes. It tends to be in more than one city. Yeah. Because it's only in one city and in one region, its impact is disproportional. Yes. Take, for example, ignoring the political repercussions of this, just on a numbers basis, if we remove the border... Belfast and Dublin would check each other because they're both big population areas, right? Ignoring the, just ignore all the political stuff, just on a numerical basis. There would be a balance that we badly need. Well, yeah, there is a, like, that is certainly a problem. Raw numbers, population balance. But it is a very simple thing, as you know, with Dublin of, aside from some very select industries in Cork and Galway and Limerick to an extent, it doesn't matter what job you're looking for. It's all here. It's all in Dublin. Yeah. And it quite frankly will not be... I mean, Galway has its fantastic engineering uh, industry that they, does hire a hell of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, pharmaceuticals down in Cork. But for the vast majority of people, the jobs are in Dublin and Dublin alone, which means you have to go to Dublin for jobs, which means the do- jobs end up in Dublin and that's it's a just the way it goes. Thing. But it's also because the, the, there, there's, there's no, we don't have a second city. Well, to, to refer to this, there's no balancing where a company could, uh, say a small startup could, could potentially go, you know what, I'll start up in this uh, small city instead because it's cheaper so I can get people here. Nope, you have to set up in Dublin. Um, like uh, You could bring up Cork, of course, but of course Cork is still ridiculously difficult to get to. Considering yeah. the size of the sign, the fact that it really is occasionally a two, three hour drive from uh, places like, you know, Galway is nuts. Yeah, but all, Cork also has geographic problems. Yes. Its population lot. is basically in a half circle around the city. Uh, mixed between floodplains and hills. Yeah. yeah. And so you have an itchy, like what Cork actually needs, I was talking about this to Ben earlier, Cork actually needs its CBD transplanted further. From, yes. the, from the water. Yeah. Because we're going to lose all of that eventually. Yeah, no, so Cork- you might as well move it now. <laughs> oh, sure. Galway's problem is that it's too small a town. It's a yeah. town pretending to be a city. It's a little tiny medieval yeah. town with big suburbs. Well, this is this is a problem. And that's it. Uh, just on a slightly entertaining uh, side note. So, of course, there is the big uh, traditional music fla down in Ennis. Yes, I heard month. about this. And... Um, now, talking to some foreigners, there's a very entertaining experience because they go, oh, geez, this is a big festival. And, of course, how many people are coming? It's something like 400,000 over the course of the week. They go, Jesus, Sam, how big is Ennis? Of course, Ennis is 20, 26,000 people. Small, yeah. And their minds would just, like, what? That makes, no, that's not a 
why would you have such a big festival in, in such a tiny place? What is in many countries a non-entity? Yeah, yeah. But in Ireland, no. We could we, we still did it. It wasn't a great idea, but what other options do you have? Mm. As you said, it's what you do. I mean, I I wonder if part of it is that because we are lacking our traditional second city, yeah, which is Belfast. And I'm not saying that in a pejorative political way. I'm not trying to say that we should take it back. Just That's in not a geographic. What, I'm just saying in a geographic more American. I'm not making a political statement there. Just to make it clear to anyone listening from the north. All I'm saying is on a numerical, geographic, political basis, having a second city of substantial size. Now, even though Dublin's relationship to Belfast is about two to one, it's still big enough that you'd have to listen to it. Compared to Cork, which is about one to four. One to four, yeah. Something like that. So the the government really has a couple of choices. They have to either try to re-engineer towns or smaller cities into bigger cities, which Cork has problems. Galway has even bigger problems. Athlone is actually perfect geographically. It's in a nice location. It's but the middle the of the country. the city is a nightmare. The town's crap. Yeah. You'd have to bulldoze half of it and redo it. But the thing is, like, I, I don't know if we need to do something as extreme as what the Brazilians did, which was they had this situation too, where this it's, coastal yes. region was just becoming ginormous, and then they tunneled into the rainforest and built Brasilia. No, that was a little nutty, just to say it. The building it, of Brasilia. Was it successful? Well, it's the capital. Well, yeah, but is it actually successful or I, is it a... I don't know. I actually yeah. don't know whether it was successful. It just reminds me of the guy in Africa who built the replica of the basilica in the middle of the jungle. There's just sort of parallels that go through my mind of sort of, it's an amazing project and I love your vision, but why? Well, to me, it's sort of... Even discussing that, there's the interesting case of Shannon. Yeah. Right. But so wasn't that also built in the floodplain? Yeah, of course it was. Okay, of course um, it was, yeah. But there's the interesting thing of so you have Limerick, which is a reasonably sized city. It you is. have Ennis, which is yeah, pretty largest town in Ireland, I think. Um, and then for some reason they decided that they would build an additional town in between them to deal with the airport. Mm. Now, bear in mind, Shannon Airport isn't that far away from either of these. In fact, Shannon Airport is almost in the middle ground, especially even before the motorway, maybe fifteen minutes from either. Now with the motorway, he's maybe. Yeah, it's fast. Before you hit the city, it really isn't that far away. But they built this town to support the airport, rather than building up either Ennis or Limerick. So now, instead of having a strengthening of Limerick, which could have been very useful, or uh, building up Ennis, um, you just have three moderately sized places that don't really, it doesn't help any of them. Is it, is what's needed in that kind of scenario? If you look at those mm. three as one big block, is what's needed to do kind of what's happened in some American metropolitan yeah. areas, where they call it like the greater metropolitan area or whatever. I'm not talking about what the Brits did with London, which was a disaster, because yes. they left all the local. They What they did was they unified this big area and then left lots of local government inside that, which kind of didn't make a lot of sense. What I'm talking about is almost like the borougheization of it. But so if you said, if we said here's we're going to have a new city. And a Shannon Limerick will be the new city. You know? See, the problem is, is that uh, and just you know, build Ireland, enough infrastructure between them and you could urbanize all of you it. You couldn't. Yeah, I know. See, this is the problem with Ireland is that a lot of the time the borders of towns, as you know, are ridiculously well defined, mm. um, except in circumstances like well, Dublin's sprawl. But what happens if you just called it like a special economic zone? Because the tribalism between people, the two counties. People, yeah. But there's tribalism between 
Dubliners and Louth, and we there, did that too. There is, but I think the, the, the different case here is you're still talking 10 minutes of solid countryside between them, uh, where there's a lot of quite I mean, upscale little villages. Yeah. You know, do you know those little villages? No, Donabate, I know what you're talking yeah, about. They're, yeah, they're yeah, little yeah. places off the road that you would think are absolute nowhere places full of people who've just lived there forever, but they're actually very upscale, nice areas. They are. That really do not want anyone building near there. They're also commuter zones, but yeah, no, yeah. I know what you mean. And uh, there's also just a, there's a bizarre number of cultural and historical areas in between Limerick and Ennis, Cranach uh, Owen. I can't believe I've forgotten the name of the castle, but there's the castle. But no, but hang on. If you were to, the other problem, of course, with Shannon Airport is that it's it's not connected by a rail line, and they rebuilt a rail system between Ennis and Limerick, and, and nobody, never bothered with Shannon. Nobody thought that this airport might be handy. Um, you could like, if you linked it up by rail to to both of those areas, then you, you would you could have you could have a little commuter belt. Yes. Yeah. Very easily. Very um, easily. Like. But this is in the same sense of theoretically it would be great to be able to live in Ennis work in Galway mm. uh, I mean it's only a 40 minute drive but the problem is in a practical sense like of course anyone in America is laughing 40 minute drive commute to get to work I know the I joke know. I know. But, but they live in their cars yeah but the problem is is that in Ireland with the roads that we have until motorways are completed that are one reliable and not going to get flooded which at the moment, the motorway between Ennis and Galway is looking that it might have some serious issues with flooding. Oh, really? There's drainage issues? Oh, jeez. You saw Gord. Yeah. It flooded yeah, uh, it completely. Um, and it shut down the rail line as well. For I think that only reopened recently enough. Yeah. And the problem with that means is that, right, you might theoretically only have a 40-minute drive. But if the flooding gets bad, which it has at times and stayed bad for month to two months... Where suddenly the trip between Galway and Ennis starts taking two hours. Because now you can't take the main road. You have to take diversion, 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 all the way until basically you're driving around Ennis. And so because of that lack of a reliable certainty that you will be able to get there in 40 minutes, it's not worth the risk. This is an infrastructure issue. Yeah. I mean, going back to the, the political voting systems, just to bring us yes, a little yeah, bit no back. But all of what Jack just said, basically, he's he's underlining, this is again for our foreign yeah. listeners, Jack is underlining the reasons why this concentration in Dublin has gotten so out of, basically, out of proportion. It, it is mad even to most people studying urban sprawl in third world countries. Dublin it's, it's is... extreme. And the, and the political impacts of it are also extreme. And... There's now a situation where you've got the three things I was raising, the issues with um, the the manner in which you are elected to vote, though it's a, the manner in which you exercise your, your right to vote, basically. Um, you've got the different types of electors and the fact that they, all, they don't actually all know their rights, hmm. which is hugely problematic. Who can they vote for and how and all that kind of thing. And the third one, obviously, is the length of voting. So we kind of looked at the getting on the ballot and things like that. I mean, in terms of solutions, I think two kind of come to mind. The first is automatic ballot registration for everybody. Yes. The second one is a little bit more complicated, is actually breaking up the electoral registers into different baskets. Yeah. So if you take one group, because we have two types of elections that are the whole country, they don't need to be done on a county-by-county basis. There's no need to have county totals for who voted for president. 
okay, obviously political scientists will kick up because yes. they love that. And it's part of data and research. And I am totally in favor of them wanting that. But from a practical matter, if you treated the whole country as one big friggin' constituency and did PRS TV for the presidential, nobody would really lose anything. Yeah, it wouldn't make any difference. It wouldn't make any difference. Um, and the same with the referendums. It doesn't matter what county votes for what. I mean, like, okay, it matters if you... It matters from a political party point of view, right? If you're trying to ram a controversial amendment through and it just about scrapes through, you want to see what districts didn't vote for what. But in terms of the results, now, it's the whole country. On a, on a counterpoint, sticking with um, the, the, the problems of Dublins and towns and cities... Just taking the marriage referendum as an example again, because it's the most recent referendum. While it didn't make a difference what counties uh, voted in what proportion, really, but overall the result would have been the same. Yeah, there is uh, a good reason in terms of like lessening that Dublin rural divide. As, as I was mentioning earlier, the problem is is that if you did it as an entire block, the as assumption one country, would be that Dublin did most of it. Dublin swept it through, which. Yeah. Which it's, it did, yeah. Well, it helped. It's a pro- the thing is, though, is it would have created the 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 you, it would have created a, the false narrative that could be created that this was something that the urban, you know, Dubliners wanted, but not the traditional rural people. Whereas, in fact, like, to a degree, that was true. But there were plenty of rural backward counties that voted higher proportions than Dublin. Yes. Um. So I think from that standpoint. There's yeah, from use. a mandate legitimacy issue, yeah. I think the presidential doesn't need to be done that way. No, the presidential doesn't make a difference. I mean, the presidential just sort of does a weird thing of like, well, most counties pretty much voted exactly like all the other counties, you know? Big surprise. <laughs> like, um, Yeah, no, I, I take your point on the referendums. You're right. But I do think that like automatic registration is kind of a, a given. Oh, no, absolutely. There's- but then, but then we, we were having this discussion before we were recording, and I was talking about how everyone's going to have these public service cards soon they're being issued to pretty much every citizen i think um and i think anyone who has a pbs number so that actually includes non-citizens as well well they're being issued in the very irish way of it'll be 10 once, years one, once you need it they will tell you oh you should have this we were meant we started this program seven years it, like happened to myself yeah, yeah, yeah suddenly i needed to get something like where's your card and this discovery of well, i never got one it's like why because nobody I, ever told no me. one ever told me and i never needed it so five years on it finally got the thing you got the thing yeah i mean i probably have to get one too but anyway um if you were to use one of these things and go to a polling place yeah doesn't matter where the hell it is and if they had a computerized system so they had a national for lack of a better word database because that's yeah. what these electoral registers it's are just a spreadsheet for national you. spreadsheet of everybody <laughs> on the ballot right which would be the whole country yes. who's eligible to vote and by the way we let prisoners vote i'm going to deal with that in a second that's really important. Yeah. Um, so everybody who's eligible to vote over the age of 18, and you have your different classes of voters, you go bip up, you scan the card. You can do this with an iPad. Yeah. This is not complicated. And then they locate where, where you're registered, and they give you your ballot. Yeah. They print it out. There you go. Done. I don't understand how this is a problem. Now, the problem you brought up was like, well, hang on. Does that mean that you have to send the ballots back to where to be counted and all that Mm. kind of stuff? But wouldn't the... I mean, I just thought of a solution there. Send all the ballots to a central area. Ah, now, again, we come into the thing of... Fraud? uh, Not fraud, because I think we're pretty okay with like, yeah, there's cameras everywhere and anyone can just sort of wander in and peek over the shoulder. I was doing that. It wasn't a lot of. But I didn't see any electoral fraud. I see the 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 issue being creating that central area. 
I mean, just just on a logistical basis, one everyone's going to want it. The dubs are going to want their own one, rightfully so. It's such like yeah, you know, if you're if you're living in Dublin, like the notion of well, you get to drive to Athlone to see the votes being counted. Be great Why? for Athlone, though. I mean, Athlone's 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 bars would do amazing. You know, where would they put it? There must be some shed. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. Just all out in a field in a big marquee, but um, but I think the the the. You Problem. could you could move the boxes. I, I think mean, the boxes I think, are moved in. Oh no, anyway. I, I completely agree. On a practical sense, it would make no difference. But I think on that weird little emotive sense, the logistics. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people would have issues of like you know, one, what the hell? Do all the candidates drive up to this big central counting area? Do they sit at home in the the home county? Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, you know, it, it, in a practical sense, it wouldn't make a difference. But in a just in one of those weird traditionists, I think every Irish person be having a thing of no. I want to go to my local camp yeah. centre and the see first, the lads. I, do, I think the first part is totally is better though. To, I absolutely to auto think register it, yeah, auto register is one hundred percent. The other thing is, if you if you notice, I didn't mention electronic voting machines because yes. I absolutely think that pen and paper is fine. I voted a lot in this country. I voted for every election I've been eligible to since two thousand and seven. That's a lot of voting since two thousand and seven. Yeah. And um, pen and pencil works perfectly fine. And it, and there is a good old fashioned look over the shoulder at the bits of paper. It is largely a meaningless thing, but it provide it, it well, ensures massive trust well, in I the electoral said, process. As I said, the thing is, is that with pen and paper voting, you know how someone's trying to cheat the system, right? So no one really bothers trying to cheat the system because you can check. There's mm-hmm. people always, just dozens of people swarming around these just randomers, just counting yep. papers. Yep. With electronic voting, the issue I'd have is that if it's being cheated, I have no idea how to... How do you fix it? How, how, how do, do I fix that? It? How do I check it? I can't... I don't... Okay, you could say you make the source code publicly available. I don't even know where to begin reading source code. Yeah. I don't see. I don't see my parents in their 60s like trying to check the source code. Yeah. I can see them looking over someone's shoulder going... You did it right. Good. Yeah. Now yeah. the next one. Yeah. yeah. But also, like, we have a thing where you can challenge votes in this country, and, and like you challenge yes. paper votes, and you have a row about it, and it's all done in public. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's the transparency of our electoral Important system. For discourse as well. Yeah. But but having an open and literally in this case open counting system. This is again for our foreign listeners. When Irish elections are being counted. Um, the the ballots are put onto a series of trestle tables and a ring of wood and sometimes um, steel barriers is put around the people who are counting. And like at a, at a bookies, a whole bunch of people stand and look in at the voting happening. So it's literally happening in front of you. And um, candidates can go in and challenge a vote and things like that if they don't like if, yes. if a ballot is excluded because someone drew a penis on it or something, but yet they ticked all the things. You can have a debate on was the penis a, a doodle <laughs> or was it a, a protest or you know this kind of these kind of hilarious I mean, things there, happen. There's been a number of the fairly entertaining ones where votes have been counted despite obviously being a joke. Yeah, uh, Conor McGregor um, got a few votes this time. Things like yeah. that. Um, so it's a very open and transparent process, and people trust it. And public trust in your electoral system is integral to a functioning democracy. Well, I'd argue it's invaluable, considering the main benefit of electronic voting machines, what, it's faster? Yeah. Uh, look, this, this count this year took a ludicrously long time. It was yeah. hilarious, though. It was hilarious. But by, what, I think the, the 12 o'clock on the second day of counting, people knew roughly what they were getting. 
But also, let's there be honest, the reason snaps. there was long counts was because of the voters. Yes. It wasn't like it wasn't like the counting officer made no. this happen. But this happened because people went completely bananas in the polling stations but, and didn't know who the hell they were voting. No, this literally no, happened. No, people just blew my, their first preference vote all over the map. Here's my simple argument. I would rather uh, have another three days of counting and be able to definitely trust in the system, to be able to bring anyone down who thinks yeah. that something dodgy is happening. Exactly. And go, Okay, you can sit here and you can sit here for the next 12 hours and watch everyone and every vote being counted rather than get the results at 9 o'clock in the morning and not be able to really know and probably... And here's the thing, the it's faster. Is it really? Because at the end of the day, even if it's faster, it's going to open up way more opportunities for people to go, that was dodgy. But also, to make that people, was wrong. To make people yeah. trust an electronic voting machine, There's the way the ones in America work is they have a paper trail. Yeah. Which means, in a lot of cases, you have physical counting happening after electronic counting, I, I, which seems completely counterproductive. Go back to paper counting. Yeah. Because people really don't trust these electronic voting machines, often with very good reasons. Very good reasons. I mean, would you trust an electronic voting machine in Russia? It'd be like going to the casino and going, oh my God, it keeps saying well, Putin. That. Why does it keep saying Putin? I'm pulling the, the other guy. Yeah, yeah, you know, no. I I... I know, and even then, it's not it's not the thing of even the notion of people ma- deliberately manipulating the machines to make them do a bad thing. The main concern is someone just doing a slightly shoddy job on putting together the software. One slightly shoddy job can end up with the machines being completely wrong. And here's the here's the key thing about that voting system: we have a unique electoral system. Yes, completely unique. PRSTV exists in other places, but no one else uses our particular method of counting. The only other place that uses it for national is Malta, and even then it's a different counting system. And they have a a top-up. Yes. So if you win a majority, you get an extra bonus amount of seats. We don't have anything like that. So because of our unique electoral system, that means that... I don't know if you could program a machine to do the kind of counts that we do. You definitely could. Even if you could... There is a certain amount of how do you challenge a vote with the machine? Do you know what I mean? Well, There's actually, all these existential. A bigger, a bigger notion that only occurred to me there: the machine would still have to break down the counts so people could look at each individual count. Which, by the way, there can be 14 counts before everyone's elected yeah. under our system. And some of these counts, they don't they don't follow the logic that people would generally think you're going to see. Generally, there can be guys who are like 10 votes within winning their seat. And, and there can go on for five counts, and they don't win. And if that was a machine, I would implicitly assume that the machine screwed up. Of course you would. I would, I you would, would think just, it was an error. Yeah, human logic is you see the pattern. The pattern shows this guy is going to win, and then for five counts, he gets no votes. That makes no... On a basic logical sense, you think that. Even though the distributive now, nature of our elections often with, leads to With this. a slow counting system, this means that you can go, well, what we're looking at here is that he's got all the transfers he was going to get from this other candidate. With that candidate knocked out, no transfers. there's no transfers. Exactly. So this is going to this completely other party who's now spreading, like jumping up the uh, queue. Where with an electric voting system, I just would assume that there would be a whole lot of chances for that yeah. to be... But fundamentally, the biggest complaint this year from political correspondents... Yeah. I didn't hear this complaint from any voters. Yeah. This was only from the media who bitched about this and, and politicians. Yeah. This was not from Joe Voter. No. They said it went on too long, ridiculous amount of counts, blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. 
the voters chose to do this. Yes. It wasn't like it wasn't like all the counting officials got together and said, "Just how do we how do we make this as long as possible?" There was no mistake. No. The system worked. The system worked. The it voters just, sucks. The voters <laughs> threw a hand grenade into the election box and ended up with yeah. a minority government. This is what happens. Voters spoke. This is what happens. So the complaints about it make no sense. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I think I think we should absolutely not use voting machines for the, all the reasons we just listed out. And when the government did try in the mid-2000s, voters ba- basically said the same thing we did, which is, we don't trust this. Uh-uh, we're not changing. I think the machines were used once and then put in a box. They were tested once and never yeah. used. Now, here's the second thing I was going to talk about, which was prisoner voting. Now, I'm just going to talk about this very quickly. We are, I think, one of the few countries that allow prisoners to vote. Hmm. And the governor of Mount Joy was, uh, I think he did an interview post-election with one of the newspapers, I don't know which one. And he was talking about prisoners voting and he said, well, first off, very few prisoners register to vote. Yeah. And they're actively encouraged to. But he said, of the prisoners who do vote, they vote in the their place of origin, which yeah. is interesting. So even in prison, you follow that. You, like, you can't. Otherwise, Roscommon would have some serious issues. Yeah, of course, because you'd have all these guys <laughs> voting in, the, in Roscommon. But you vote oh, where you're Joe, the knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You vote, from where you, you vote from where you were from. And the governors of the prison said that those who registered to vote kept a, a, a connection with their pre-prison mm-hmm. life. And were less likely to be recidivists, which means they were less likely to commit further crimes in the future. Which means that to even just look at this case study, you're going, okay, so that means that those people who are in prison who still partake in elections are more connected to society. That would be my takeaway from this. Which kind of makes you rethink why we ban prisoners from voting in the first place. Like, obviously, we don't do it, but other countries do. And it makes, you you know, it's food for thought. Um, just out of curiosity before we wrap this up do they vote in the same way the islands vote like the day before or no hmm. they vote the same day yeah that's curious that's they vote the same yeah. day and the ballots I think the ballots might be collected at a slightly different I don't know what times they collect the ballots yeah. but as far as I'm aware it's the same day they prob- probably have them vote first thing in the morning you know? yeah yeah. The, I mean the last thing I thought we would talk about was the um, the nature of any kind of reforms that could happen, just practical stuff. Because mm. I want the because uh, we've had an interesting discussion about all oh, this, yeah. but it's almost like what can practically happen? Okay, so the first is automatic voter registration. Yes, you'd have to pick a date and go from there. So if you said from the first of January twenty eighteen, every citizen, UK citizen, and resident in Ireland for three plus years gets automatically registered. Yeah. I'd right? say everyone with a card. Everyone yeah. with a card, whatever way you want to do it. And then obviously you have to break up your different types of voters and they all have different rights and privileges, mm-hmm. things like that. UK voters can vote in every election except for referendums and presidential. Non-UK EU citizens or just general yeah. people who are working here can only vote in local elections. And then Irish voters can vote for everything. So if you do all that, then you obviously, you've, you've basically ensured that you, you have a huge voting age population because it's everyone well, who's for, eligible. For As far as I can tell, almost no visible downside. You just make voting easier for everyone. Yeah. 
You basically do. <laughs> but the second part to make voting easier for everyone is to also fix or come up with some solution with this constituency issue that we yes. kind of went through. I don't know what the solution is. I think maybe you should be able to bifurcate your vote because Dáil elections and council elections are rarely at the same time. Yeah. I think the last time was maybe the mid to late 80s. They were roughly they were like within a year of each other. They tend to be separated. So the council elections are fixed term elections. They happen every five years, like clockwork, yeah. since 1999. So the next one will be in 2019, so, uh, 2024, and so on. What you're talking about is having yourself registered for your local elections. So for myself in Galway, yeah. for the councils, and then for the general voting in Ennis for the representative of my county. Yeah. Yeah. That makes would sense. make sense. Yeah. And then for. And you could still actually do that theoretically anyway. By going on the ba- the uh, supplemental. supplemental, yeah, but it's that's just a pain, a in, the pain ass. in the ass. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's just pointing out that there's no impediment to this. No, no, no. You, there's nothing, you can nothing still stopping do this. this anyway. You can still do this. It's complicated though, yeah. And it could lead you to being purged off your home ballot too. Yes. And and this is you know this is the reason why as well that all of the, these electoral rolls should be taken off the councils and should be a national thing. Mm. So the Department of Climate Change, Housing, and <laughs> Local government should basically take over this. Now, people would argue that there is a certain big brotherish kind of having electoral lists and things like that. And this is the argument that the, the Data Protection Commissioners recently just shut down an amazing historical database hosted by Dublin City Council as part of their library and archives, mm. was shut down by the geniuses at the Department of... Uh, data protection because of supposed and not really understandable privacy concerns over records concerning people who, if they were still alive, would be in their late ni- 90s. These are historical records. This is yes. not present day. This goes up into the 60s. Um, so I really have limited time for this sort of data protection stuff about these records. So that's another debate and another issue. But the fact that they are viewed as overly privileged information is in and of itself an impediment to such a national database but that's something that we actually just need to deal with yeah because it's not it's not the only and i tell you i can search for you right now on the ennis system yes. right, of claire i can type your name in if i know your full name which i'm not going to say on this but i know your full name and i know your home address i can then find out what kind of status of lecture you are yeah and if you know my full name and my home address you can do the same to me yeah that's right now if i can do that right now what in the name of god is dangerous about a record from 1966 or 1965 I don't understand the logic of this, but there seems to be this kind of paranoid fear in general about the creations of national databases. You heard the same kind of stuff about the air codes. Now, the air codes kind of make sense because they lead you to your home, but at the same mm. point, I'm like... See, I, I don't know. I, I personally find this entertaining because I frequently come across people who are completely paranoid about what the government might have in them, but still put up their entire lives in Facebook and Google. Yeah, that's my personal favorite. And, at the end of the day, of which, by the way, the data protection commissioner is doing absolutely nothing to safeguard your no. information from private companies. Because the problem is they can't, they can't safeguard you yeah. from what you want to do. They're hell bent on protecting you from mythical, non-real enemies in your history, yeah. but they're they're going to do absolutely nothing to corporate trolls who will take all your information, sell it to spammers, who will then sell you either a larger penis or a magical <laughs> yacht. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I just find it entertaining that people fear the government that they actually have a say in, but implicitly trust a Silicon Valley giant. It makes give me a break. No sense to me. I know. But anyway, on that note of 
sort of grumpy <laughs> grumpy old man grumpy old man um, I'd like to thank uh, Jack Kerwin for coming by to have our discussion on voting and um, for any of our listeners out there who are interested in this topic we, we kind of like to further this discussion but we'd like to have more of a, a discourse or sort of suggestions from people who listen right um, because we have our views on it but we'd like to get a wider set of views of what kind of things would you guys like for voting reform um, is compulsory voting something that people what are interested absolute in absolute mistakes did we not make or not consider there we go yeah what did we not what did we screw up please tell us yeah. and you can contact us and send all those complaints to at spoilyourrain on twitter our email at spoilyourrain at gmail.com and you can like us on Facebook. And if you would please go to iTunes and give us a, a like or a rating, that would really help other people find this podcast. Okay, thank you.